You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. After it happened that the Germans left Lithuania and the, the troops had gone, and of course they had been terrible when they were there, so it happened to be that in Kadian, which was right near Kovna, uh, two of the Lithuanian, um, I guess you would call them uh, people who helped m- bring the Jews to be murdered, uh, and that they, it was clear that they had killed at least 20 Jews when the Germans were in control. And now the new, whatever government was there, I'm not sure exactly, but there was some sort of Soviet. Uh, Soviet. It was the Soviets yeah. who were now yeah. in charge. Yeah. These murderers uh, hired a Jew. They, there was a Jewish lawyer who somehow survived and they paid him a tremendous amount of money. And of course that money, where did they get that money? They got that money from Jews that they had, um, you know, thrown out of the ghetto and taken their money in order that uh, he should defend them um, and to work hard that they should uh, not be considered by the whatever the new trials. I don't know if it, was, it wasn't in a, an international tribunal, but it was like you say, Dr. Kogan, a, a local tribunal that they should be able to say, look, we were just following orders and there's no reason why we should be punished. Um, the Jews that somehow, again, were around, uh, spoke with this lawyer, and they spoke to him, don't take this job, so how can you do this? You're going to defend murderers? But it didn't make a difference. They, their appeals were so strong, it didn't help. So, after the, I'm not, he seems to have won the case, and he seems to have gotten them off uh, from any death sentence. But the Jews looked at this lawyer uh, as someone who was evil, someone who shouldn't be part of the community, and not to have anything to do with them whatsoever. Well, every one of us is similar, and all of us have parents, and all of us have familial. Um, emotions towards them. And when this man had a yard site, even though this was his job, he wanted to come to Shul. Um, and the place was called, you might know this, it's called Hoisman's Clothes. That's where it was. The base Aknesis and Kovna was called Hoisman's Clothes. Uh, Kanaus, right? That's the way they spell it in, uh, in uh, right? K-N-A-U-S, Kovna. He wanted to daven and say Kaddish. Um, that was the only shul that was left in Kovna, Hoisman's clothes. It was on, you can look it up where it is. He says it was on 28 Mariani Street. And this guy came and said, give me the Amud. I have your sight. They couldn't believe it. How could he have such a chutzpah? to do such a thing. Not only did he not 
listen to what they asked him not to be a lawyer for them and, and, and taking the money. And the money, of course, was money that was, that was ripped away from Jews. But now he wants to come into shul? Don't they know that everybody hates him because of what he did? And he wants to be a chazan? Um, now the shamish in the shul, let's call him Ruving, um, was also very upset that he came over here because he got those Lithuanian bums off off the hook. Um, he went to him right away, and even though this, you know, this some people have big shoulders. The guy, uh, the Irachtin, let's call him, um, let's call him. Um, um, Shmario. So Shmario, the Oyrech Din, uh, came to the Omud and started to daven. He already begun davening as if he had the right to daven there. And Ruven the Shamish came and um, pushed him off the Omud. And he said, You're Tome, get out of this holy place. I don't want to even ever see you in the shul again. Um, in fact, Everybody that was in the shul with him went into another room. As long as he was in the room, they refused to be in the same building. So he was in the base. He was in the big base Knesset by himself, and everybody else just left that room. In fact, they said, you know, again, uh, Shmario with his big shoulders kept to the Omud. and everyone else said, "Okay, we can't. We're not gonna. We're not gonna become violent with you, but we're leaving." And every single person that was part of that minion went into a different room to Davin. And they left him there. And he started to cry and fall fall apart in tears. Rav Rav Oshri was asked, and you know, this is, these, these, Rav Rav Oshri was asked, was it right? Was it right that the Shamish pushes, pushed him out? Uh, that he couldn't be the Shliach Zebra on, on the day that he had yard site? The fact that they left the shul and leaving him there, the most, the strongest type of embarrassment, was it right? Maybe they should have let him daven. Look, it's a terrible time for everyone, but maybe they should have let him daven. So, Rav Oshri says, if you look on Shulchan Aruch, it says clear that Shuliach Tzibar has to be Hogun, that he doesn't have ob- very obvious Haverus, and that he needs to be someone who the Tzibar has a connection to, and the Tzibar feels can represent them. This person who defended those murderers, even though he was begged not to, you can't call that person Reikon Me'averus. There's no greater Aver in the world, Rav Oshri says, <clears throat> than desiring to cover up for and defend murderers in order to save them from punishment. Why? Why is that so terrible? Because it's much bigger, Rav Oshri says, than the fact that those two weren't punished. If these murderers are able to get off the hook because of some tricky Jewish lawyer. So every murderer is going to think, yeah, I can get away with it. And in fact, 
what might happen to those Lithuanians. They might decide, hey, let's kill some more Jews. And they're still going to do it. So that, of course, is a tremendous favor for the Jewish people, for society in general, that he would be willing to take that role. Now, so he's definitely not Reikon Me'averos. And you, you definitely got to tell him that the Am wants to have him. Because they told him to stop. He cannot be Shliach Tzibur for that community. Even if he has Yerzit. Who cares? He says, Malo Litzibur my Yerzit Shalom. The Tzibur has to care about his Yerzit. Because even though a Yerzit, you're still a Shliach Tzibur. You say, Hashem Elkeichem Emes. Um, and that means something. Even for Mariv. He would say, Yes. I know with uh, Duchening that there has to be uh, a connection, uh, like a positive connection yes. between Cohen and, and the Sibur. So I, I would imagine something similar with Shlier Sibur. Right, uh, right, right. That's the Lochen in Shulchan Aruch that Rav Oshri quoted. You have to be Merutzolaam. They have to have a desire that you can represent them. Now, you could say, uh, Dr. Kogan, well, what is he really doing for Mariv? Everybody's really dabbing for themselves, right? It's Mariv. Uh, it's not like there's a Chazar Sashats. So, right. so Rav says that some sofer is machadish, that when it comes to Hashem Elokeichem Emes, that's a shtikel even at, at, at when you daven Mariv B'tzibor. So you're being uh-huh. motzi them with that. Um, so, and in fact, the Zohar says, if the Shliach Tzibor has chatoyim, how terrible is it for the Kahal to be so much on such a person. Now, part of what you do when you write a tshuva, besides bringing the Shulchan Aruch, is also to find antecedents, which is something Rav Oshri does here. He says, B'tshuva's Eitan Mizrahi, and I didn't have a chance to look up who the Eitan Mizrahi is, but he was asked the question. You can see this comes all the way from Tach. That's 1648. Um, there was a person who was a Jewish murderer and people knew he was worse than a murderer he'd done a lot of gangster type actions and he tried this was not the first time he had tried to kill someone else before now I don't know which government it was but he had now been dragged into the, the, the government courts, and he was in a court. He had been in, in, in government prison. Now, he was a Jewish person, and the word got out to the community that if the community could raise enough money, they might be able to get this guy free. So the question was, look, he is a Jew, and we could save his life. Should we raise money for this guy or not? Now, there was another factor. The Rotseach, let's call him um, um, Shmulik. The Rotseach, Shmulik, sent a message to the people in the community. He said, if the people don't raise this money, I'm just going to become a, a Christian here in prison. Why? Because the priests have said to me 
that they'll get me off death row if I convert. All I need to do is get the baptism happening. And once that occurs, I can save my life. So this became a Shiloh. Hmm. Not only can we save a Jewish life, but maybe we can save him from his, his neshama as well, because he's going to become a Christian and go over there if we don't save his life. Or maybe we should say, look, you, you killed. You were a murderer. You're not doing tshuva. Um, we should just let you die. Rabbi Kivalevich, also Sakana for the community. He, he can turn against the whole community. If he becomes Christian, he might have a... You're right. He might have an axe to grind against them later, right? Right. So this was the question, though. There was people who thought maybe we should raise the money for him. Um, the Eitan Mizrahi brings from what it says in Choshen Mishpot that a tzibur has a right, a Jewish community has a right to inflict dine nefoshos. How? If they see that the community is parutz ba'averos, then we have the right to judge him with misa or mamon or any other onish. Because we need to send the message. The Ramah says, and he wrote this in the 16th century, we're still doing this. Anytime Jews have autonomy, we actually, we are able to actually inflict even uh, the strongest corporal punishments and even capital punishments. Why? Because we need to, it doesn't make a difference if it doesn't have a, um, a, a precedent in actual Shulchan Aruch, if the people in the city thinks it's important, we have a right to put this man to death. Now, what does that mean? That means that the door is parutz. The door is parutz. And that's the way it is. Um, which is Nisrabu Amo Yisrim, Nisrabu Aganov Amagazlonim. And we see people are being murdered and killed. This was, again, with some probably in the, in the 17th century. We're finding uh, the communities are being in, infected by this idea that you have freedom to kill and, and, and rob and steal. So therefore... Um, the Eitan Mizrahi says, or Eitan Mizrahi says, that it's very hard for me to say that we should uh, redeem this guy and kill him. I could say that, that we should actually uh, take this guy from the authorities and put him to death. I'm not ready to say that. But I think what we, I think what might make sense had we not had he not been grabbed by the authorities is to maybe cut his nose off or cut his hand off everybody would see him walking through the streets with a with a with a grotesque face and with an arm that was cut off people would realize don't be like him avomisa yishkach if we put him to death people are going to forget about it maybe even make him into a martyr incorrectly 
Now here, the situation is a little more complicated. He's already by the government authorities. Neaton biyad archoyos. So, um, so here the question is, um, what should we do? Should we should we should we should we try to save his life? Now, I'm always the the this posek wrote. I'm always tzoek al manhiga ador. The, the, the tendency I have seen in Jewish communities is that when someone, a Jew, a person who was caught stealing or anything else, the Jewish community does whatever they can to get him out of the Goyesha prison. I believe this is wrong. And of course, you know, and I'm not going to be on record here, but you know, there have been many cases within our community, very famous cases, where money was raised to get people out of prison. This, the author of the Eisan Ezrach, he feels that was wrong. And he wrote that uh, in the 17th century. He says, these people are Rishoyim. If we had them, we would punish them. Now that they are with the gentle authorities, they should stay there. And we definitely are not going to raise any money to get him out of the hangman's noose. Now, he says that the priests are saying that if uh, if he becomes a Mishumid, that they'll get him off. You know what? That's not our, that's not our, we don't have to worry about that. In other words, if if that's true, then it's actually going to cause more shmad to happen. We should let him die. And um, and that was the psak of the the Baal Eisan Ezrochi. So what do you see from there, Rev Oshri says? You don't give money to get a person off if he has killed a Jew. Because and say, okay, let's take him from the Gentile authorities and bring him to back to us. There's just going to be more murders. Because he's going to think, yeah, they're going to save me. They're going to, they're, they're going to pay money from me in order that the, I shouldn't be killed by the Gentile authorities. And what that is going to lead to, a lack of regret. Um, and even if we put him to death, it's not going to be good enough. So therefore... Here, in this case, um, you should just let him die. Now, that's if the, if the man would be a Jew. If he's a non-Jew, and you know he killed a Jew, how can you be his lawyer? How could that Jew ever have decided he was going to be the lawyer to get them off? Those two Lithuanian bums that were put in prison until, like you say, the Russian government would decide what to do. How could any Jew help them in any way? We see that many of the Germans and their henchmen and many of the other people like Jemnamnyuk and others, what did they do? They disappeared. They ran away to other countries. They changed their names. 
and they lied to the authorities where they no, entered into new countries. I'm sorry, the, uh, in this case, um, I think CIA or FBI was complicit in bringing those uh, people into this country because of uh, the Cold War. They actually uh, broke the right. law. Right. No, you're, you're correct. There yeah. were certain intellectuals they wanted in this country. But there were other... Collaborators. I'm not talking about intellectuals. I'm talking about collaborators with the Nazis that were brought, the Ukrainians that were brought here. Why would they, why, again, whether Dimnanyuk was Ivan the Terrible or not, I'm not getting into that. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, he probably wasn't. But people like that, people, these, these Ukrainian peasants, Lithuanian peasants, these people that were helping the Nazis, um, they did run away and they did get into other countries uh, changing their story and many times, uh, right, changing their identity. Why should America have wanted those people here in this country? Because of the Cold War. It was the whole thing. They wanted the resources to fight the co- in the Cold War, anti-communist. They passed under the anti-communist, uh, uh, anti-communist assistance. It's a real thing. I'm not making it up. So having those people here, how would that help detract from communism? I, I didn't pass. I didn't uh, trace in terms of their activities. It was an idea from the Dulles brothers or, so, or something like that to bring them. But there are hundreds of people here under these streets and, uh, and semi-legally brought here and sworn into citizenship, whatever, into all kinds of things. Well, as you can see, Rav Oshri says these people came into the country and they said, no, I wasn't part of the murders. I never killed Jews. And in yeah, fact... Yeah, the Soviets were conducting collaborators' uh, trials at that point, 1946. That's when these things happened, that the event that you're describing. That's something right, else. Right, and, 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 and therefore, these people, Rav Oshri says, many of them have already escaped and, and sworn that they had never killed any Jews, even though we know they did. Yep. So therefore, uh, he says, what we need to do is do whatever we can to discover who these murderers were, to have them be punished, and clearly you can't defend them in court uh, in order for them to get off the hook for not for not to be killed, and it would be a terrible, terrible thing to happen. The fact that he took this job, um, even if it would have been a Jew, we would have said he did the wrong thing. As we see, let him die. And we would have killed him had we had a chance to as we saw. So, Ruvain the Shamish, he did a good thing by pushing him off, not letting him be the Chazan, and the Kal did the right thing because when this guy pushed himself in and wouldn't leave, they wanted to show a message. And this is the way you have to be. Um, Let's just read the end. How you need to, if you could connect to such people, people that were answering from the Germans, how could anybody decide to um, defend them? But the story isn't over yet. He says, I decided, Rav Oshri says, I went with a number of people from Balabatim, and I went to visit this lawyer later, 
in his office. And I spoke to him and I said, stop working on behalf of these criminals. It's what Chil Hashem it is. How can you go, people know you're a Jew, and here you are appearing in court defending them. What do you think people say? Jews love money. That even though they know, they, everyone knows they were killers, but say, look, look what that other Jew did. A Jew loves money more than he loves other Jews. What's the proof? Here's a Jewish lawyer who's actually uh, helping these people off. Maybe it was some of his own relatives that were killed by these murderers, and he'll still take money for it. And especially, where do you think the money came from? Where do you think these Lithuanian peasants got the money from? They got the money from Jews that they shook down and stole from and grabbed from before they put them into the cattle cars. When Rav Oshari said that, the lawyer, it changed him. What happened in Shul, he cried terribly, but he didn't stop working there. When the Rabbonim came, when the Rav came and they explained to him, he says, all right, I'm going to stop. And he took it, put his position away, and he started not just coming to Shul for yard site, he started coming to Shul every day to Davin. And eventually he left Kovna because uh, he thought they were going to kill him. And Lachari became somewhat of a Balchuva. So I, I guess the story does indeed have a decent ending. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 